Today's scripture is taken from Galatians 5, verse 1 to 15. Let's read together in the count of 1, 2, 3. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are suffered from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would, would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. You all may be seated. Eleven sermons of the book of Galatians. And today I title my sermon, Three Ways to Live. All right. Has anyone watched Braveheart? Anyone? Okay, that is one of the most, I think, beautiful, gorgeous movie. And if you haven't watched it, do take time to watch it, okay? And if you have watched it, then you know there is this unforgettable scene in the movie, okay? If you watch it, you know it. It's when Mel Gibson, playing as William Wallace, painted his face in the color of Scotland flag, the blue and white, and then he raised his hand and then he shouted, remember what he shouted? Freedom! Remember that part? And then the whole Scottish army rushed forward to fight for their freedom, okay? It is unforgettable sin. And every time I read the first half of the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, that's the picture that comes to my mind. So imagine that, like Paul raising his hand and shouts, freedom! And then the Galatians rush forward to fight for their freedom. However, there's one big difference. Wallace was fighting to gain their freedom, okay? While Paul tells the Galatians to fight to keep their freedom, okay? What happened was there were people who tried to rob the Galatians of their freedom in Christ, and Paul would have none of it. And in the same way today, we have enemies that want to rob us out of our freedom in Christ. And Paul tells us, you must fight to keep your freedom. So let's recap what we learned so far in both Galatians, right? We are in the 11th sermon. So what happened in the previous 10th sermon was, Paul was defending his gospel from false teachers who tried to distort the gospel. And what we understand about the false teachers, they're not against the gospel, right? They're okay with the gospel. They believe the gospel. But then they said, hold on a second, faith alone is not enough. I mean, the gospel is good, but then you also need to obey the law and be circumcised, and then you will be saved. Remember that? So what they concern is, they say that we must add obedience to our faith in Jesus. While Paul said, no, 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 that is not the true gospel. So let me put in a formula for you, okay? I gave this formula earlier part, in the early part of the series. So Paul's understanding of the gospel, true gospel is Jesus plus nothing. While the false teacher's version of the false gospel is Jesus plus something. 
And this is the difference between freedom and slavery. So if you don't get the gospel right, what happens is we lose our freedom in Christ. So for the past 10 sermons, we have seen how Paul argues strongly that Christians are free from condemnation of the law because they are already righteous in Christ. Okay, that's the past 10 sermon. So, so starting from today and for the next couple of sermons till the end of the book, we're going to talk about the so what. Okay, we talk about the doctrine and now we talk about, okay, so what? What does it mean in our life? What does it mean for me then to be free in Christ? Because this is what happened. When people hear that they are free in Christ, some of them think like this way. Well, if I am free in Christ, if I am free from the condemnation of the law, then I can do whatever I want, right? Then I can live however I please because God will love me and accept me no matter what. At first glance, See, the gospel seems to remove all incentive to live a holy life, a life pleasing to God. And that is why, sadly, this is a true story, sadly, many Christians feel like they need to tone down the gospel. Have you met them? Because they say things like, all right, yours, okay, I get the gospel, but you can't have too much of the gospel because it will create imbalance in Christian life. I mean, if you keep telling people that God loved them and they don't have to do anything besides trusting Jesus for their salvation, then it's going to lead to a slack living. You must tell them to obey the law and to do good work as well. You must have the balance between trusting the gospel and obeying the law. Have you heard that line of reasoning before? Okay, I heard it so many times. And there is some truth in it. Let me give you an example of my own life. Back when I was in year 7 to year 10, I was a decent student. My grades were all right, okay? But in year 11, uh, my parents told me that they wanted me to go to Dallas, Texas for Bible college, okay? At first, I hated the thought of going to Dallas, Texas. But then I realized it came with a great benefit. Do you know what that is? The college did not need my HSC result. I was guaranteed to be accepted without my HSC. So do you know what I did for the next two years? I kissed my textbooks and assessment goodbye. Okay, don't ask me what my HSC result was. Here's my, but here's Paul's argument throughout the book of Galatians. We cannot have a balance between trusting the gospel and obeying the law because to do so is to distort the gospel. But don't get Paul wrong. Paul does not say obedience is not important. Paul talks a lot about importance of obedience. But Paul say the reason for our obedience means everything. The why is everything. So the question that we want to talk about tonight is, then how does the gospel give us the right why to live a holy life? Okay? Let's look at it together. I have three points for my sermon as usual the way of legalism, the way of licentiousness, and the way of love. Some of you are like, that is a really hard word. Don't worry. We will talk about it, and I'll explain to you what those words mean. And after today, you can brag about it. Legalism, licentiousness, or love. Number one, let's talk about the way of legalism. Okay, this is something that Paul's been discussing throughout the book of Galatians, so this, is, this should not surprise you. In first one, Paul says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, this verse is absolutely important. Because if you want to summarize the whole book of Galatians in one verse, this is it. Everything about the gospel is about freedom. Jesus came to earth to set us free. The question is, set us free from what? Now, you assume, people assume straight away, oh, Paul must have been talking that God set us free from sin. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's not talking about sin here. Paul's point is Jesus has set us free from the law. 
He's not talking about freedom from sin. He's talking about freedom from the slavery of the law. Because why? Because now, if we believe the gospel, Jesus has set our conscience free from guilt and condemnation that the law throw at us. Now, it doesn't mean that the law is evil. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. The law is good. But the purpose of the law is to show us that we are evil. The purpose of the law is to reveal to us that we can't save ourselves and we are in condemnation. And when we realize we cannot save ourselves, here's what the law does. The law points us to the one that can save us. And his name is Jesus Christ. And now the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven of all our sin. We are made right with God the very second we put our faith in Jesus. We don't have to earn it. We are justified before God by faith alone. So now the gospel tells us there's absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. But the gospel tells us Jesus has completed the work of our salvation. And when we belong to God, when we belong to Jesus, we belong to Him forever. Nothing in all creation can separate us from His love, not even our future sins. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And this freedom is not something that we have to work towards. This freedom is something that has been done. It is good news. It is declaration. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continued the second part of the sentence. Stand firm, therefore... And do not submit again to yoke of slavery. So if the first part of the sentence is a declaration, something that's been done, the second part of the sentence is a command. So now, in response of what Christ has done, you and I have to do something. What is that? We have to stand firm for our freedom, which tells us we cannot lose Christ, but we can lose our freedom. Our freedom is something that we must fight to keep because there are enemies that want to rob us of our freedom. And here's what I know about every single one of us. We know, but we don't know. Like, in one sense, we know we have been freed from the law and we should be free. But deep inside, we struggle to believe it. Deep inside, we still think that there's things that we must do to be accepted by God, right? Let me put it this way. We are free objectively, but we struggle to be free subjectively. So our freedom is very fragile, and it can easily slip from our grabs. And that is why Paul commands us, I want you to stand firm. I want you to be alert. I want you to resist the attack. Yes, we have been saved by our faith in Christ, but we must continually remember and rejoice in that salvation because there are enemies that want to bring us back into slavery. Okay, who are the enemies? Okay, there are two enemies of freedom that we can see in our text. The first one is legalism. Okay, what is legalism? Here's my best definition of legalism. Legalism is looking to something beside Jesus for our acceptance before God. So legalism is this idea that the gospel is great, but the gospel alone is not enough. We need to add to the gospel. And this is what Paul's been battling throughout the book of Galatians. And that is why in verse 2 and 4, he says this, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severe from Christ, you who will be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. And that is a strong word. Now, remember, remember, remember. Paul has nothing against circumcision. Circumcision is not bad. But the moment circumcision becomes a requirement for salvation... Paul is strongly against it. Because for Paul, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus is enough, full stop, no addition. John Stott put it this way, okay? What does really circumcision stand for? Circumcision stands for. John Stott put it nicely. 
Circumcision stands for religion of human achievement, of what man can do by his own good works. Christ stands for religion of divine achievement, of what God has done through the finished work of Christ. Circumcision means law, works, and bondage. Christ means grace, faith, and freedom. Every man must choose. The one impossibility is what the Galatians were attempting, namely to add circumcision to Christ and have both. No. Circumcision and Christ are mutually exclusive. The moment we add anything to the perfect work of Christ, it destroys the perfect work of Christ. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything, or Jesus plus something destroy everything. It's like this. I'm a big fan of David Beckham, right? Before the documentary Netflix, I'm already a fan, okay? Some of you, like, you'll become a fan after you watch the commentary. But I'm a big fan. Like, the reason I love soccer was actually David Beckham back in 1998. So he is my favorite sportsman. Now, let's say, for example, imagine I have a soccer ball with Beckham's signature in it. I can sell that ball for a lot of money. But then when I look at the ball, I realize that his signature on the ball is badly faded. So what I do, I take out a marker, and I carefully trace over his signature with my marker. Here's my question. What happened to the value of the ball? Like before I touch the ball, with my marker, the ball might worth, let's say, 1,000 bucks. But the moment I trace his signature with my marker, that signature is no longer Beckham's, right? It becomes mine. And the ball's worth dropped to what? One dollar, because I can't bend it like Beckham. Some of you know that movie. Some of you are like, what? See, if we add just a bit of our work to Christ's perfect work, if we accept just one little addition to the gospel, then Christ will be of no advantage to us. And not only that, here's Paul's argument. If you try to make yourself right before God by obeying the law, then you are obligated to keep the whole law. Not just part of the law that you like. I mean, it's easier like, to obey the part of the law that we like. No, no, no. Paul said, if that's the way you want to be right before God, if you want to go by the way of obedience, then you must obey every single commandment in the law of God. Your choice, you either fully trust in Jesus or you fully obey the law. And as long as we still rely on Jesus plus something, Paul says, you are severe from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, which is a strong warning. Salvation is either by faith in Christ alone or Perfect obedience to the law. There cannot be any mixture between the two. Salvation is either all of Christ or none of Christ. It cannot be 99% Christ and 1% us. doesn't work. 100% Christ or zero. But then, in verse 7 to 9, this is very interesting. Paul continues his argument. He says this, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And this is important. See, Paul does want us to obey the truth. Obedience does matter. But Paul's issue is, why? Why do you obey? So the Galatians think by adding circumcision... By adding the law to their list of what to do and not to do, they are getting more obedient, right? But Paul says, no, 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 no. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? In other words, by adding more obedience, the Galatians were actually not obeying the truth. Here's the implication. Because some of you might be asking, okay, I get it. I get the gospel, yours, but I still don't understand why adding obedience to the gospel is so bad? I mean, obedience is good, right? Why is it so bad to add obedience to the gospel? What is so enslaving about it? Here's why. Paul's telling us, obedience is great. You have to obey God. But if you obey God for the wrong reason, if you obey God to earn salvation, 
you'll be a slave. You will be burdened, which means, listen carefully, if we are obeying God for the wrong reason, God sees us as disobedience. Obeying God for the wrong reason is as bad as disobeying God. So if we make obedience to the law a requirement for salvation, what we are doing is we are disobeying God. And we will never be sure of our standing before God, and that is enslaving. And Paul said that teaching, that teaching that you heard about adding obedience to the gospel, is not from God who called us. Which means, if it's not from God, it must become from God's neighbor. Not angel, Satan. So whenever we are persuaded to trust ourselves rather than trust in Jesus for our salvation, remember, that thought cannot come from God but from Satan. And Paul continues to say, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Which means, we can't say, I mean, yes, who cares? Who cares if we are made right by faith in Jesus alone or we are made right by faith plus obedience? Who cares? It does not make any difference to my life. You're wrong. It does. It makes all the difference. The why of obedience is everything because if we get the why wrong, we get all of our Christian life wrong. It's like cancer that will spread aggressively to the whole body and destroy the body. Let me use my life as an example, right? God called me into a full-time ministry a couple of years ago, and I obeyed. Can we agree that's a good thing? That I obey God's call and I jump into full-time ministry. That's a good thing, right? Obedience to ministry is a God-honoring act. But if I use my ministry to gain acceptance before God, that's slavery. Because now, circumstances will kill me. Because if circumstances threaten my ministry, I'll be afraid. If circumstances block me from advancing my ministry, I'll be angry. If I mess up and do something really dumb and destroy my ministry, I want to kill myself. But if I do well and my ministry thrives, I'll be prideful. So I'm always burdened with guilt, pride, and fear. Ministry success makes me feel like I'm somebody. Ministry failures make me feel like I'm nobody. Which means even though I obey God in my ministry, I'm enslaved by my ministry. Obedience is good. But if we obey God for the wrong reason, Paul says, we return to the yoke of slavery that Christ has set us free from. If we obey God for the wrong reason, we are slaves. And that is why in verse 10 to 12, it says this, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you will emasculate themselves. So even though the Galatians been infected with the false teaching, I love Paul's confidence. Paul said, no, 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 it's okay. They will return to the true gospel. Because Paul's confidence is not in himself, not the Galatian, but in God. God will not fail to complete the good work that he has started in Galatians. But here's Paul saying, but those who teach circumcision will bear the penalty. He will receive condemnation. Like in fact, <laughs> Paul's word is a lot stronger than that. He says, this is Paul, not me. He wished that those who teach circumcision will not only cut the skin, but somehow the knife slips and poof, cut the things all together. That's harsh. Okay? I know I said a lot of harsh things in my sermon, but not that at least, right? Why? Not because Paul passionately hates those who teach circumcision, but because he passionately loved the gospel and the Galatians. He does not want anything that makes less of Jesus and rob Christians of their freedom. And that's why Paul said, that's why I'm being persecuted. 
If I want to escape persecution, I can. Just pray circumcision, but I'm not going to do that. I refuse to remove the offense of the gospel. And listen carefully. The gospel is extremely offensive. If you have not been offended by the gospel, you don't get it. Because the gospel tells you your work does not count at all. Zero. There's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. The gospel is extremely offensive to our human pride. Which leads me to my second point. That's the first danger, the way of legalism. The second danger is the way of licentiousness, okay? I know the word is hard to pronounce, but you get used to it after a while. Licentiousness. First 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and defy one another, watch out that you have not consumed by one another. So licentiousness is the opposite of legalism. Okay, what is licentiousness? See, licentiousness is the belief since we are saved by faith in Christ alone, then we can forget about the law and live however we want. Like, it doesn't matter what we do because God will always love us and welcome us. And Paul disagrees with this mindset because Paul is saying, yes, you are free in Christ, but that freedom is given to you, not for you to abuse it, not for you to do whatever you want, but for you to serve one another through love. And here's what we know about the gospel. The gospel never promotes an obedience-less life. That's not the gospel. Because remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So we need to reject any notions that say, well, since I gave my life to Jesus already, it doesn't matter what I do. I can sleep with whoever I want. I can cheat on my tax. I can, I can do all the evil things. And I'm still going to heaven when I die. That's not the gospel. The gospel teaches us that if we trust Jesus, we should not use our freedom to satisfy our sinful desires, but to serve one another. Which means, even though obedience is not a requirement for salvation, obedience is the result of salvation. Gospel truth always produces gospel obedience. Let's talk about freedom now, okay? Because a lot of time when we talk about freedom, here's what people understand about freedom. Well, freedom means we can do whatever we want, whenever I want, and no one can say no to me. But that's not freedom. That's slavery. But that's what our culture believes. Because our culture believes you are free. You are free to be whoever you want to be and whatever you want to do, and no one can say no to you. But let me tell you, that is not freedom. What is freedom? True freedom is not the freedom to do whatever we want. True freedom is the freedom to want what we were created to do. Okay? Let me give you an example. You, you get this. Logically, you understand this. Take a fish, for example. Okay, let's say the fish thing, I am free to do whatever I want, whenever I want. That is my freedom. So one day, the fish decided to exercise its freedom because it's tired of water and it wants to exercise the freedom by living in the land. So finally, the fish decided, this is the day of my freedom. The fish decided that it's tired of water and then it jumps out of water into the land. My question, what will happen to the fish? Is it free? Well, of course not, right? The fish will and die. Because the fish is only free when it is in the water. It tells us that true freedom requires the right environment in which one can thrive. And not only that, but true freedom also requires the desire to want to be where, where one can thrive. Because as long as the fish think that it can only thrive on the land, the fish is not free. But the fish is free when it knows it can only thrive in the water and it wants to be in the water. That's freedom. 
Can you see where I'm going with this? For us to experience true freedom, we need not only the right environment to thrive, but we need to have the desire to be, to want to be in that environment. Which means, the law of God gives us the environment on which we can thrive. But only the gospel gives us the desire to love and want the law of God. So whenever people talk to me, like, you know, yours, gospel thing is, you know, it's really dangerous. Because if I believe the gospel, if I believe I'm accepted by God no matter what I do, I will lose every incentive to live a holy life. And I say, well, if when you lose your fear of rejection by God, you lose your incentive to live a life pleasing to God, then the only incentive you had for living a holy life was fear. You did not love God. You were afraid of God. And that is not the gospel. And that's slavery. Think about it. Because the gospel tells us that God is so holy that He requires payment for every sin. And only Jesus' perfect righteousness can satisfy his demand. But the gospel also tells us that God is so loving that He makes a way for us to be right with Him. We can receive Jesus' perfect righteousness by our faith in Jesus. That's it. So the gospel, therefore, neither leads us to a fearful life because we know we have been accepted graciously by God, nor unholy, un, un, unholy life because God who accepted us is a God who is holy. So when we abuse our freedom, it means that we forget the gospel. We forget that God is a holy God. Okay, let me put it this way. Christians are free from the law as a way to earn points from God. But Christians are not free from the law as a way to please God. See, rather than making us disobey the law, here's what the gospel does. The gospel frees us to love and serve one another. And by doing so, we fulfill the law. Okay. Now the question is, I know what's the, you know, okay. But how? How does the gospel free us today to actually want to love and obey and fulfill the law of God? Here's how. By removing the very motivation we have for sin. The gospel deals with what is actually the, our heart issue and remove our desire to live however we want. That means if we use the gospel to encourage us to sin, we don't get the gospel. Let me give you one example. Lying. How many of you lie? Okay, I'm pretty sure all of you does. Here's the good news about the gospel for you who like to lie. The gospel tells us we do not have to fear being rejected by God if we lie. We are free from the penalty of lying. So if we think God will accept us because we are perfectly honest, we will be destroyed, devastated when we lie. But the gospel assures us that a lie will not condemn us. Some of you are like, oh, this is very interesting church. That means I can lie? This is the first time I heard that in church. Is that true? Okay, so the gospel removes all penalty of lie. But does that mean we can lie? Okay, let's ask a better question. Why did we want to lie in the first place? Do you know why? It's because we're afraid of losing something that we think we need if we tell the truth, okay? It might be the acceptance of that person. It might be the success of our business. It might be the comfort of life. See, there's something that you want, and you're afraid if you tell the truth, you're going to lose that very thing. That's why you lie. But if we get the gospel, then we have no reason to lie. Because the gospel tells us, Whatever it is that you are seeking, you already have it in Jesus. Because now you already have the approval that you desire from God. And if you get that, if you already have that, if you already have God's acceptance, and you know that God is working for you, why would you lie? See what the gospel does? 
The gospel doesn't simply tell us don't lie, but because we know the gospel is true and we already have what we need, we don't have to lie. So now we can say, well, okay, if I lie, I will get this thing. And if I lie, it doesn't change my status before God. Even if I lie, I'm still a son of God. He still loves me. He still accepts me. I am free to lie. But why would I lie? Well, I don't need that acceptance. I don't need that power. I don't need that comfort. I don't need that control that a lie could give me. I already have them in Jesus. Now, can you see what happened? So that means it is our free acceptance before God that actually enable us to obey the law. We keep the law out of love, not out of duty to unmarried. We do it because we want to, not because we have to. That's freedom. But if we do not get the gospel, this is what happened. If we do not get the gospel, we will continue to look to our own performance to secure our standing before God. And you know what happened? We will immediately begin to compare ourselves with each other. And we will devour and bite one another. Because if our acceptance before God is based on our performance, what is the standard? Your standard become, I need to be better than the other person. You continue to compare yourself to the person next to you, and now you feel like you need to outperform them in order for God to accept you. That's slavery. See, without the gospel, we will always live our life trying to fulfill our own desire and trying to meet our own need. We will use one another for personal gain. Not love, use one another. So that's the two enemies of, enemy of the gospel. The way of legalism and the way of licentiousness. So the question is, then what is the way? The gospel way or the way of love. My third point. Verse 5 to 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision no circumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The way is the gospel way. Let's talk about what biblical hope is first, right? Because the way New Testament used the word hope is very, very different from ours. Because the word hope in English means uncertainty. If I say, I hope someone will give me a million dollars, it means I am not sure it will happen or not, right? But in the New Testament, the word hope means absolute certainty. And that is why Paul said, I eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And right now, we are still waiting for the fulfillment of our hope. But we wait for it eagerly. Why? Because we know it will come without fail. We don't work for it. We wait for it by faith. What are we waiting for, Paul? The hope of righteousness. This is what it means. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, this is what happened. At that very second, we become holy, righteous, and blameless in the eyes of God. We are covered in Jesus' perfect righteousness. So right now, when God looks at us, He sees us as gorgeous and beautiful. However, the fullness of that righteousness is yet to come. Can we agree? Because today, you and I still struggle with sin. You and I still have a lot of flaw and weaknesses. So the fullness of our righteousness will come on the day we stand before God, on the day of judgment, when He pronounced us righteous. And Paul said, I can't wait for that day to come. I eagerly anticipate for the day of judgment. And this is very different from the way I used to picture the Day of Judgment. Because the idea of Judgment Day used to terrify me, okay? I, I blame it on my Sunday school teacher. Because I was told, I was told that on Judgment Day, I don't know if you grew up with the same teaching, I was told that on Judgment Day, God would play a video of all my dirty secrets on a gigantic screen for everyone to watch. Remember that? That freaked me out. Like, Please, Jesus, do not come. 
right? Because I don't want to see that. I don't want anyone to know my secret thoughts. I mean, how can I have the confidence to stand before the Holy God who knows it all and going to show it all to everybody? So as long as I still live under the law, I will not have the confidence to stand before God. Rather than eagerly wait for that day, I dreaded that day. But because of the gospel, because I live by faith in Jesus' perfect work for me, because right now I know that His blood has covered all my sin, I eagerly wait for the fulfillment of that righteousness. I long for the day that I not only seen as righteous, but I became fully righteous and able to enjoy God forever. And Paul said that day will certainly come. It will certainly come without fail. And right now, if you believe in Jesus, as you wait for that day, in all your weakness, in all your flaw, in all your sin, you are as loved and honored by God as you will be when you are perfect in heaven. So we wait eagerly for the hope of righteousness. And if you believe that, listen, if you really believe that, it changes the way you live today. Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, which means both spiritual success and spiritual failures mean nothing. We are not affected by it. So when we do something good on Monday, we say it means nothing. Doing good does not make God love me more. God does not love me because I did good. I did good because... God loved me. Circumcision means nothing. But uncircumcision also means nothing. That means when we blow it, when we do something really stupid and selfish, we say, if I had not blown it, if I had not messed it up, if I had done the right thing, it wouldn't change my status before God. God does not love me less because I messed up. God does not love me, love me less because I did this dumb thing. He accepts me because of Jesus. And God allowed me to fail, to let me see my sinfulness so I could be humble. And now I get to experience more of His grace for me. And I'm confident, even in my mess, that He's working all together for good. Now, can you see what happened now? See, the gospel gives us this equilibrium that nothing else can can. See, God doesn't love us because we did good. We did good because God loved us. God never unloved us because we did bad. Even the bad things that we did are used by God for good. On a good day, we have humility. On a bad day, we have confidence. That is the freedom of security in our, in our relationship with God that the gospel gave. In our high, high, and low, low, we are secure. And that is why Paul said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything in our relationship with God. Because our hearts are already filled with the certainty of God's love for us because who we are in Christ. And here's what happened. It removes fear from our heart. So then the question, well, if we no longer fear, if we're no longer afraid, well, then what is the motivation for us to live a holy life, Right? What is the motivation then for me to do well? Is what Paul said. Faith working through love. Because saving faith, if you truly understand the gospel, if you truly have that saving faith, it always produces love. But listen, we can only live with love if we live by faith. A loving life is an expression of a life of faith. And a loving life is impossible without faith, okay? Let me put it this way. Until we understand that God accepts us fully simply because of what Jesus has done for us, we will not be able to live a loving life. If we still think that we have to earn God's acceptance, everything we'll do will be motivated by selfish desire rather than love. Charles Spurgeon gave a wonderful illustration to explain this very meaty and complicated concept. He says this. Once, there was a gardener who grew carrots. Then one day, a huge carrot grew in his field, 
And he was surprised by the size of carrot because it's gigantic. So what he did, he took the carrot to his king and he said, Your Majesty, I'm a gardener and I have a garden of carrots. And this is the greatest carrots I have ever produced. And I want to give this carrot to you as a token of love. Because only a wonderful king like you deserve to have this huge carrot. And the king appreciated the gesture, took the carrot from the gardener. And as the gardener walked away, the king said, I can see how much you love me by giving me your greatest carrot. You honor me. So I'm going to give you the huge land next to your garden so you can be a much greater gardener than you are now. So the gardener was surprised, and he was rejoiced, and he went home. But there was a nobleman in the castle who saw what happened. And he thought, huh, if the gardener received a huge land just for a carrot, what will I get if I give the king my greatest horse? So the next day, the nobleman brought his greatest horse to the king and said, My king, a wonderful king like you deserves the greatest horse. Here's the greatest horse that I raised, and I want to give it to you as my token of love. The king smiled and said, Thank you. I appreciate it. You can go. And the nobleman was confused because he didn't receive anything from the king. What happened to the huge land for carrot. The king discerned his heart and said to him, let me tell you what happened. The gardener gave me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. Can you see Spurgeon's point? Spurgeon explained, as long as we're still doing something for God to get something else from God, we're not doing it for God. We are doing it for ourselves. We're not doing it out of love. We are doing it out of selfish desire. So if we still think we need to do things for God to be saved, we cannot fully love God. Because only people who know that God already loved them can truly love God and others. We can only live with love when we know we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Only the gospel enables us to live a loving life. Because without the gospel, here's what happened. We will not love God for God. We, we will not love God for God. We are simply using God for our own agenda. It is only when we see the beauty of God in the gospel that we can love God for who He is. Let me show you the beauty of the gospel and I'm back to my seat. Here's what the gospel tells us. The gospel not only free us, free us to love God for God's sake, but the gospel tells us we have been loved for our own sake. See, God loves us not because He wants something from us. Think about it. What is it that you have that you can offer God? Nothing. Because God owns everything. He owns every star, every galaxy, every oxygen, everything else in the universe. It belongs to Him. And who are we? We are a speck of dust who rebel against Him. We stand condemned because of our sin and we have nothing to offer Him. But the reality is the gospel to us, even though we are nothing, even though we are a speck of dust who rebel against God, God chose to come to us and save us even though we are of no profit to Him. Jesus Christ left His glory behind for us. He died on the cross to pay the full price of our sin. He lost everything so that we who have nothing and mean nothing can have everything. Jesus loved us for us. And to the degree we see how much Jesus loved us, to that degree, we can love Him in return. Now, we can obey God, not for what we want from God, because we already have everything we want. We can obey God for who He is and what He has done for us. Finally, we can love God for God. And not only that, and finally, we can also love other people, not for what they can give us, 
we can love them for who they are. Because now the gospel makes it possible for us to live a loving life. Can I put it this way? The more joy we have in our gracious salvation, the more we are driven by love and gratitude to do good for the sheer beauty of good, for sheer delight in God, for the sheer love of others. If we are reminding ourselves and living in light of our certain hope, we will have a heart overflowing with love. We do not seek right. We do not. We don't need to seek righteousness and welcome from others, since these things are already ours. We are free to love others, seeking the good. Because we are already loved and accepted by God because of our faith in Jesus, we are now free to love other people. We no longer need other people to give us what we need because Jesus has met all our need. So now we are filled with the love of Christ. And out of that love of Christ, out of the fullness of love of Christ in us, we are able to love and serve one another. And by doing so, we fulfill the law. So now we can say to one another, because of Christ, I don't need you to serve me. I can serve you. Because of Christ, I don't need you to be nice to me. I can be nice to you. Because of Christ, I do not need you to give me what I want. I can give you what you want. Because of Christ, I do not need you to love me. I can love you. And because of Christ, I do not need you to put me first. I can put you first. And church, that is the way of love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. We don't deserve your love at all. We don't deserve your mercy at all. We are a speck of dust who only deserve condemnation and wrath. And yet you love us for us. You came to earth and you sacrificed your only son to die so that we may know that we are fully accepted and loved in your sight. And Father, I pray that as we continue on our journey with you, continue to amaze us with your love for us. Continue to captivate our heart with how much you have loved us. And I pray, Lord, as we grow, as we grow in our awareness of your love for us, may we be able to love you in return and love one another so that we may become people of love, people who serve one another, and in doing so, we fulfill the law. We obey the law not because we have to, but because we are filled with your love and we want to do what's pleasing in your sight. So help us, Lord. We can't do this by our own strength. We are selfish, sinful people. But I pray as we continue to gaze on your beauty, as we continue to gaze on the beauty of Christ, may that empower us and enable us to love you more and more, and to love each other more and more. And we ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.